Well, good morning. Welcome to another bonus podcast. My name is Crystal Taves, and I will be hosting the podcast this morning. Um, I'm joined by Thalia. Good morning. And Aaron. Hello. Thalia is our pastor of care here at Northview, and Aaron is one of our regular contributors. So they are here to join us today on this topic. We are going up to do a part two of a topic we did a few weeks ago on um, how we interact with LGBT community. And so we have had lots of people stop us in the hallways, uh, send emails, lots of different things. And so we thought, well, this would be a good opportunity to expand upon that and ask some of the questions that people are asking. Mm-hmm. Right. There is also a panel that Thalia and Jeff and Kyle and Andy, I think, yep. did with the high schoolers. And the high schoolers had submitted a whole bunch of questions ahead of time that we didn't have time to answer at that panel. And so basically, we're, we are structuring our podcast on the questions that came up. Uh, from the high schoolers. Yeah. So if you have high, high schoolers in the house that didn't get their questions answered, encourage them to listen to this. Yeah. I will list. answer what they have. Uh, we wanted to just mention too, uh, Thalia was going to just talk to you about some follow up after the Transform conference that she did on this topic and other things. So pass, I'll pass the baton to you. Yeah. So in mid April, I did the breakout session at the Transform conference on how to talk to your kids about LGBTQ issues. And out of that came the podcast that you might have listened to. If you haven't, maybe stop this one. Go listen to that one first, and then you can come back here. So we did the podcast, and then uh, I received an email from the MB Herald, the Mennonite Brethren Herald, and they said they would like to do an article, or they would like me to write the article based on the breakout session I did at the Transform Conference on how to talk to your kids about LGBTQ issues. So um, I faced that with a lot of fear and trembling. Hmm, it yeah. is I'm not a natural writer, and to put it in an article that goes across Canada is not my total love. Right. But I knew that it was important to speak the truth in love, as we want to do. And so I approached our leadership and asked if this was something that I should do. And they all resoundingly said yes. So I put it into a shortened form, submitted it to the MB Herald, and with a little bit of editing, on their part, they are so good. I was mm-hmm. so impressed. Um, it will be in the July issue, and I gather that's kind of the topic for the whole magazine article, like the whole issue. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, your your love is speaking it out, so people can see your eyes, yes. hear your voice as yeah. you're talking through this. You don't want to sound really judgmental or harsh no. or legalistic, and that's what the hard thing about putting it in paper is, right? Right. And also because a lot of people don't think the same way mm-hmm. as how we presented it on the podcast and in the breakout session. And I know that it's going to be hard to read those editorials. Yes. So when people comment on I it. was, yeah, uh, wimpy, a little wimpy. Yes. Well, no, I can totally get that. Yeah. yeah. We also wanted to share a few other resources. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast and the previous one. So Erin listened to a podcast too that she wanted to pass along. Yeah. Last week I found one on Gospel Coalition's um, podcast feed and it was by a man named Christopher Yoon. Or Yon, and um, how do you spell the last name? Y U A N, okay. I believe, yeah. and it's called Christians and Homosexuality. And he was somebody who um, was promiscuously involved in homosexual relationships, and he was a drug dealer, and he ended up in prison. And during that time, he came to know the Lord, and then went on to do a whole bunch of academic Christian education, and is now a speaker. And it, he's hilarious, and it's quite a testimony and wonderful, wonderful you said, explanation. You said that you'd even liked it so much that you put it out loud on your counter so that your kids could listen. Yeah, I thought my 12-year-old could handle it. Yeah. And then it was bedtime, so I she didn't hear the whole thing, but some of it. Mm-hmm. That's good. And Thalia, you just read a book that you wanted to mention. I did. I read a book called Messy Grace by Caleb Kaltenbach. 
K-A-L-T-E-N-B-A-C-H. I'd heard him speak on Focus on the Family a few weeks ago and was really intrigued by his story. He um, grew up in a home raised by lesbian, two lesbian moms, and his dad was also homosexual, but he didn't know that until the college days. And so uh, he grew up in the LGBTQ community, going to all of the different pride parades and parties and all of their events, and this was normal for him. And Christians were very hateful towards him and his family and his life. And so at 16, he joined a Bible study to see what Christians believed, and he wanted to throw it back in their face. Hmm. But Hmm. he met Jesus, and his life was transformed. And then it goes on to tell about him becoming a pastor and how this interacted with his family. Hmm. Very, very interesting. The book is very easy to read, and he weaves his story through theological discussions on homosexuality and sexual sin in general. So it's very, very worthwhile. Great. Mm-hmm. We have a couple other books that we won't mention that we've read over the years, but if you are more interested in those kind of topics and resources, just feel free to email Thalia or I or Aaron at any time. Mm-hmm. That'd be mm-hmm. great. Um, before we get started on this one, uh, Thalia was going to give us a quick outline of what we did last time uh, in case you haven't listened to it, but we would encourage you to listen to the whole podcast. Um, you could download it wherever you got this one on yeah. the iTunes or the website. So why don't you give us a brief outline of that? So, a brief outline, in case you didn't listen to the last podcast, but I also don't think we can say this enough. So, the perspective we are speaking from is that our authority comes from God's written word, the Bible. And 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 is so important. The Bible is God-breathed. It's His very word. Also, all people are created in God's image, and we find that in Genesis 1. Um, They are fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. That is the basis. Every single person, the barista, the soccer mom, the kid on their skateboard, everybody created in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made. But of course, each person is sinful. The three of us, everybody, sinful. Our hearts are sinful. We have that effect of sin right from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. But God has a design for gender, sex, and marriage, and anything outside of His design is sin. We have choices, though. We're not robots. We can choose to obey God or not, which is sin. And of course, sin has consequences here on earth, and if we continue in unrepentant sin through our very last breath, then we will not inherit heaven. We will inherit eternal death. And those are very hard to say. But that is for all of us. The solution, of course, to sin is Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Sunday school answer works here, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we have a continual call for confession, repentance, and transformed life with the help of God. We can't do it on our own. We need God's help. And those, I just can't say often enough, that regardless of the person we meet, their choices, their life circumstances, every single person created an image of God, loved by Him, but of course, He doesn't want them to stay in their sin. He wants to save people out of their sin. Right. And the created in the image of God gives people value, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we value unborn babies. That's why we value each person that we come in contact with, because they are God's child, His handiwork. Right. That's where our value lies. Absolutely. So, Thalia mentioned that we have the authority of God's written word that we go on. One question that I thought I'd quickly clarify before we go into the rest of this topic, which are going to be more kind of practical questions, but some people wonder... Where did these questions come from? Pardon? Where did these questions come from? These questions that we're going to tackle? Mm-hmm. Oh, from the high school youth. Yeah, at their panel, there were questions that weren't right. answered okay. yet. Yeah. But one question that people have sometimes about biblical authority is they look at the Old Testament and they see there's all kinds of laws in the Old Testament that we don't follow now in the New. And so how can we choose to follow some and not others? And if we are arbitrary in that, 
why don't we just throw the whole Bible out and right. forget about it? So we wanted to quickly clarify um, how we understand Old Testament, New Testament here. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted just to say in Matthew 5, when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount, he says, um, don't assume that I've come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. Yeah. And so what Jesus is saying in there is, I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I'm not abolishing the Old Testament. And so if you read through the Old Testament laws, you'll find laws that are called ceremonial laws. And those are laws like sacrifices, washings, clothing, things that make you ceremonially clean. And all of those pointed forward to who Christ was, that He would be our sacrifice, that He would be the one that would wash us from sins, yeah. that He would be the one that would purify us as a people. All those ceremonial laws were fulfilled in Christ, and so we don't have to follow those anymore. We don't have to have animal sacrifices. We don't have to have washings and festivals and all these things, because those pointed to Christ and they were fulfilled by Him. Hmm. But the rest of the Old Testament laws would fall into a category of moral law, so how we should live our life. And moral laws, such as adultery and stealing and lying and all these things that focus on the kind of the fabric of how we live, Jesus doesn't change any of those in the New Testament. In fact, He sometimes ratchets them up. Like He'll say, it's not just about whether you physically murder somebody, it's if you're hating them in your heart, that's sin. It's not if you actually commit adultery with somebody, it's whether you lust after them, that's Mm -hmm. the sin. And so, when we look at how we look at the Bible in terms of this issue, we want to say, what are the things that are moral laws in the Old Testament? All of those carry through. It's just the ceremonial laws that don't. So, we don't want to throw out the Bible in this discussion. It's important to keep it front and center because it is relatable and it is understandable in that way. So, theology aside, we'll get to some practical stuff. You're welcome. That's important. (laughs) Um, We're going to get to some practical questions then. So, first practical question, should you attend a gay wedding? Does it mean you are supporting the marriage what if it is your child that's getting married? And we have this question a lot, and this is a big deal for a lot of people. So just as a very basic answer to start off with is, we all receive wedding invitations. I haven't for a while, but we receive well, them. Well, you're kind of at that age. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to actually attend any wedding. We can decline for a lot of reasons, you know, travel and expense and work schedules and holiday schedules. So just because you receive an invitation does not mean you actually have to go. If you are wondering whether you should go or not, we should think clearly and intentionally about any wedding invitation we receive. And we have a few that fit into this category. So Mm -hmm. we talked about should you attend a same-sex wedding, but there's a few other things I would like to throw in there. So one of them is if you have a friend that's dating somebody who is actively drinking a lot, like an alcoholic, a drug dealer, a drug addict, something like that, you need to consider talking to your friend seriously about the relationship they're in And then if they go forward anyways, you need to consider, will you actually attend that wedding because you're not standing up for, not supporting what your friend is going into? So would that be applicable to other, if they're marrying someone of another religion or if they're marrying someone of another who isn't a Christian? Yeah, a believer should marry another believer, just as Mormon should marry Mormon, Sikh should marry Sikhs. It is sin to marry, um, for a believer to marry an unbeliever. So if your friend is dating someone who's an unbeliever, you should have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And if they go forward, you need to consider, will you attend that wedding? Right. Same with abuse. If your friend is being verbally or physically abused in their relationship, you need to have a serious discussion with your friend. And if right. they go forward and don't listen, you need to consider, are you going to attend that wedding? So what are the pros and cons of attending a wedding, whether it's same sex or something else that you don't agree with? What are the pros and cons of that? Yeah. Well, I think the pro of attending would be that you are um, encouraging still a relationship. Mm-hmm. You have a place in their lives. They can see that you support them in in love. 
and you have that open door possibly to speak the gospel at different times, they're probably going to move forward in that relationship no matter what you say at that point. So it keeps that open area. Yeah, because once you've wrestled with the decision and you've prayed about it and you've talked with wise Christian friends, you may decide that you need to attend that wedding for some reason. It's not wrong to attend a same-sex wedding you know, after you've talked about it intentionally. Right. But you may decide not to because you believe that marriage is uh, divine by God as one man, one woman for life. It's a sacred covenant, and God has designed it in a certain way. And mm -hmm. two men or two women does not fit God's design. And so right. you may decide to stand up for God's design and not go to the wedding. To make a statement. Yeah. Kind of. So it depends what you're saying is how you think you're going to be viewed as when you're there. Like, what are people going to take your attendance to mean? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Right. And what, I mean, it, to go a little further, there would be what if someone, you were asked to stand up for a wedding, like right. actually sign the witness papers. Yeah. And it was in a church even, if it was being promoted to be mm -hmm. in a church, that might make it different for you as well. Yeah. Um, I think that would be, uh, it's a higher level, I think, if I was asked to sign something. Of endorsement to of what's endorsement, going on than sure. actually attending. Yeah. And people yeah. will say to me, they'll say, oh, but I need to go to the wedding because otherwise I'll hurt their feelings. I'm like, yes, you might hurt their feelings. We have to get used to that in this life, that sometimes right. we have to kindly and respectfully disappoint people. And we can't do everything that mm -hmm. people ask us to for our own reasons. We can still have relationships with yeah. people, even if we disagree and even if we have to hurt their feelings. And I think there might be gestures that you could do if you came to the point you're praying, praying about it and you realized, no, I'm not going to attend this wedding. And it'll be obvious why I'm not co-worker, friend, neighbor, whatever. And then afterwards, it's probably a way to make some kind of a gesture that I care about you. You're my still in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This wasn't a, an end-all and be-all. No. I just can't stand for... At that one moment. At or that, that moment. Yeah, that, that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, another question that was brought up. Can you be born gay? So yes. This is the big argument that people <laughs> say, well, I was born this way. Yes, so you can be say? born gay. We're all born with the tendency to sin. We're all sinful right from birth, even conception. We are born, because of Adam and Eve's sin, it has infected all of us. We all have a sinful nature, so we are all born with tendencies to sin. We can think of so many reasons, right, or so many um, things. Like We are born with the tendency to be angry and to lash out and to be arrogant and to be lazy, and we're born with the tendency for every kind of sexual sin, right. you know, Temptations. opposite gender, mm -hmm. same gender, lust, pornography, we're born with all of this. But it and doesn't mean we have the right to act on it. And some people may be born with a, with a specific predisposition, like towards alcoholism or whatever, yeah. where if you take one drink, you're just off the deep end, whereas other people right. wouldn't have that same. So there's genetic predispositions to Absolutely. things that doesn't, inf doesn't necessarily mean we're off the hook in terms of our behavior. No. Because right. as Christians, we should be known for our following of God's commands rather than our just giving into our passions. Mm-hmm. That is the thing. Yeah. Okay, this is another question that came up. Is it fair for people who struggle with homosexuality to be expected to remain celibate? We want to talk about that fair question. Is this yeah. a fair thing that God asks us to do this in, the, in His Word? Because we have a strong desire for fairness. Mm -hmm. We've raised kids. We know that that's one of the first questions that came out saying, this is not fair. Mm -hmm. Of course it's not fair. <laughs> well, it thinks to be really black, white, and just. Yeah. I often go back to the thing that, well, God's God. He's the creator of the earth. He's the one who designed how everything goes. He has all his rules that he put in place because he created everything. 
So it doesn't really matter what I think is fair. It's not my standards. It's God. And that's a very hard situation to come to. I've had to wrestle with that over my life where um, I've had to realize I'm not in control and it's not up to me. And that's a tough thing to come to grips with. It's a submission issue. Yeah. And we don't like that word in any kind of context generally, but it is submitting our sexuality, any part of us, yeah. under His design, and it's hard. So this isn't only for people who have same-sex attraction. It's for people who are single, who never get married. It's people who get widowed. Mm -hmm. It's people who get divorced mm -hmm. uh, until, if you're they're biblically divorced, until they would get into a, a renewed or a different relationship. Uh, we expect It's not like celibacy is only expected of one group of people. No. It's also uh, holy sexuality in marriage. Right. right. So in marriage, you have an opportunity to have an outlet for sex, but it's not sex with a third person. It's not sex adding in pornography as a spice. It's not adding in flirting or fantasizing about someone else. It's still holy sexuality. It's a very limited design that God put in place. Right. So is it fair? Well, it's God's plan, and so it's best for us if we follow God's plan. And I think I would say, like anything in Scripture, if God has a plan for it, and we're saying we want to follow in line with His will, I think we just pray for God to work in our hearts and in our lives through the situation that we're facing, and say, like, yeah. Lord, I want to be obedient. You know, Help give, me. Help me, and give me the fulfillment that I need. Give me friends that I need. Give me other relationships that I need to fill some of this void that yeah. I feel because I'm trying to be obedient to you. And if we ask according to His will, Scripture says, He answers our prayers, right? And that would be His will for us, that we remain holy as right. He is holy. Some of us were studying James with you this yeah, season, and, and right from the beginning of the book, it talks about submitting in our trials and temptations, that they're there to expect them, and that they need to come underline yeah. of God's Word. Yeah. yeah. When does homosexuality become, become a sin? Is there a line and all of a sudden you have crossed it? <laughs> These are great <laughs> questions. I know. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. So there is a difference between simply being tempted and sinning. And I know for me that... I have all of these involuntary thoughts that go through my head all day long. Sinful thoughts. That, that's just appall, appalling to me when I <laughs> when go, through my, go through my head. I can't even speak. But it's up to me whether I cherish it, I camp on it, I fantasize about it, mm -hmm. I mull it over. That's where it's sin, is if we pick it up and work on it and nurture it, that's sin. And then, of course, if we act on it, that's sin. Of course. Mm -hmm. The saying is, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> it's a good picture, though. It's kind of a good picture. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. what do you yeah. want to add? So, we, need to, no, we just need to be aware of re re confessing and repenting if we mm -hmm. are feeling ourselves cherishing sin, um, but not beating ourselves up for the, the involuntary thoughts that come into our heads. And especially, I think, for high schoolers and stuff, you're going through a lot of hormonal changes. Yeah. Hormones do all kinds of things to your mind. And don't beat yourself up for the thoughts that are coming into your mind. Yeah. It's a matter of, you know, a lot of different factors coming together. Yeah. But how, what do you do with those thoughts then? And once you've confessed them, like when I take, when those involuntary thoughts come through my head, I'm often like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. That was a terrible judgmental thought. That was a terrible attitude going right. through my head. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for that. 
what happens is I for- confess it and I'm forgiven. But usually, a few days later, a few weeks later, a few months later, those kind of thoughts come back again as a sneak attack. Right, of course. So, because my kids are in high school now, I'm often revisiting my high school years. Yeah. And I had moments of being a mean girl. Oh, yeah. And so, I am really thinking, oh, the way I acted on the phone or the way I acted towards some of the kids that I knew was not good. And I'm sorry about it even now, but I know that I've confessed that and been forgiven multiple times over my years. But I'm still doing it now because it sometimes yeah, it goes through my head and it sits there and I am sorry again. So I just confess it again. Lord, right. I'm so sorry for what I did back then. And please forgive me. And so, yeah, I don't beat myself up, but I just ask God continually, please forgive me. I know it's forgiven and forgotten by God, but it hasn't been forgotten by me. And I know that I did it. This is a self-control issue. Yeah. Right? And it really reminds me not to do those kinds of things again. Because we have no reason to treat anyone Mm -hmm. uh, with any kind of unkindness or disgust or repulsion or anything. We, everyone deserves to be treated with kindness and compassion and respect. They're created in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made. I wish I had remembered that more when I was a teenager. So, if this is something that you're struggling with, with thoughts that are in your head... Yeah, we would just encourage you to bring those to the submission of God. Yeah, and bring them, to confess them to God, and maybe to somebody else. It can help you process. Yeah, process that. Mm-hmm. But having the thoughts themselves is not sin necessarily. No. How should we? Re- how should we react to people who call themselves Christians but are homosexual or refuse to stop swearing or having sex before marriage, etc.? Mm-hmm. This is a good <laughs> high school question. Lots of things in there. Yeah. The basic boundary is how should we, or the basic to sum it up, how should we react to people who call themselves Christians but their lifestyle doesn't line mm-hmm. up with what the Bible would say a Christian lifestyle should look right. like? Right, they're sinning in some form or other. Yeah, but they call themselves Christians. Yeah. So which would answers. be almost everybody? <laughs> yeah, because we're all sinners. We're all. And yet Likely. we claim to be Christians. <laughs> but there is there are ways that we need to sort of take a look at somebody and see over years, over months, how their statement of I am a Christian and the reality of their life is lining up. And yeah. usually there's some kind of evidence. Yeah, because there's lots of people who claim to be Christians. And they'll come to me and they say, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, okay, how do I know you're a Christian? And they'll say, well... I graduated from CBC or Trinity Western or MEI. My parents are Christians. I grew up in Canada or I'm not Mormon or a Buddhist or a Sikh. So obviously mm-hmm. I'm a Christian and they give me all these reasons. I'm like, but that's not what makes a Christian. And so we have to clarify what is a Christian and how do you live that out? Uh, Jeff has the three P's. You pra- or you sorry, you profess it. You profess to be okay. a Christian. Then you practice it over your entire life and you persevere until your last breath. That is a Christian. So you can't just claim it and then do whatever you want. There has to be evidence of there it. There has yeah. to be evidence. Yeah. So if we have somebody in our lives who's claiming to be a Christian but doing all these things, what would be a, what would we do? How would we confront them or talk about them at, with that? Yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, I've talked to some teenagers recently who have been complaining that their uh, Christian coworkers are acting in a way that's not claim living up to the claim so they're for example going to vancouver calling in sick to work but going to vancouver for the day or Hmm. calling themselves christians but they're known by a very sexual nickname at work or things like this that don't line up and so i've had to talk to a bunch of these teenagers and young adults and say so you might want to gently talk to your friend and say you claim to be a christian and what you're doing isn't lining up with being a christian that's a very hard discussion to have it's not always well received. <laughs> no, it is not. No. 
We're going to talk a little bit later about offending people, I think. <laughs> That's going to be one of the things. But see, the point is, people will say, oh, you think you're so good. Yeah. Like, why are you talking to me about that? You think you're so good. And I'm like, well, that's actually the point. I'm not good. Like, I, too, need somebody to kick my butt when I am not doing things that line up with my claim. Right. So Crystal or Vic or my husband Mark or my kids will say, Mom. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. My attitude, my tone of voice, my whatever didn't line up with my claim. Right. So I need to say sorry to the people around me, and I need to say sorry to God and keep going. And we need that. We need people to do that for us. Yeah. So we should be willing to walk in with our close friends and say, hey, what you're doing is not lining up with your claim. Yeah. So it's almost like a little message to all the people listening. Like yeah. also be open to somebody speaking that into your life. Because sometimes we just ignorantly don't even realize that yeah. our behavior isn't lining up with what scripture says. All of us. And we sometimes we're doing it on purpose. Sometimes it's just happenstance. That we're behaving in a way that doesn't line up, and we need people to speak into that and say, well, "Hey, yeah. knock knock, that's not great." Because if we want to get to persevere until our last breath, I hope I have a lot more breaths yet, which means I have a lot more mistakes to make. Right. So I need people to actually say, "Hey," a lot more times. Unfortunately, so that requires a humble attitude as yeah. well. Yeah. And our cl- cultural climate says right now, "I'm proud. Yeah. I'm who I am," and you can't poke me at all with and the anything. best love is to love me for who I am not That's expect right. me to change so at all. this is very countercultural. Yeah. yeah but in John 14 verse 15 it says if you love me you'll keep my commandments and that's Jesus speaking and if you love me so if I love Jesus I need to keep his commandments and so I don't know what the commandments are I need to read the Bible or I need to listen to it on audio I need to be involved in Bible studies and I need to go to church and I need to have my friends around me telling me when I'm going wrong right I don't like it at all. My, I wish my saying, I would love to have it on my tombstone, I didn't mess up. <laughs> that would be a great saying. But I do. And we all do. So we actually need people to poke us. Yeah. So if we have people in our lives who are claiming to be Christian and yet living in a lifestyle that wouldn't be, whether that's homosexual or any other lifestyle, um, yeah, I think, we'd, I think another thing we could do is encourage them to read God's Word with us. Mm-hmm. Like to sit down with them and say, hey, let's, read, let's do a study together. Or come with me to our women's study on the book of James. And James deals with all these things. Our, right. our women's conference this year, the book of First John, was all about your faith lining up with your actions. And allow God's Word to convict them. We don't always have to be the heavy ourselves, mm-hmm. but kind of invite them to study God's Word with us and allow God to convict through His Word. Yeah. And you might be encouraged by the fact that um, there are a lot of women that go to some of the in-depth Bible studies like Precepts, and so they're doing a lot of Bible homework. And people look at them and think, oh, you're so holy because you're doing all this Bible homework. But what's interesting is many of them then come to talk with me because as they're doing more Bible homework, more reading, God is convicting them on yeah. a daily basis. And so they're cleaning up a lot of the muck in their life, which we don't think they have because they're doing all this great Bible study. But everybody has muck. So they're coming to talk to me about their muck. And I'm like, great, welcome to the club because we're all doing that. And the Bible's bringing up the muck. It is. So the more we can point people to the Bible, yeah, yeah the better. Uh-huh. Okay, we're getting on in time here, so we're going to keep going. How do we treat same-sex attracted Christians who attend church? How can we make this a safe community for them? Or are they welcome at church? What are some basic ground rules we need to think about? The three of us listened to a really great speaker in Atlanta in November, and his name was Wesley Hill. And he is somebody also who is same-sex attracted, but living as a Christian in a celibate way. And I was really impressed with some of the things that he spoke. They were kind of new revelations for me. And... One of the things he spoke about was that we don't have an atmosphere where where same-sex attracted celibate people are welcome, are are comfortable. They can't speak it to anybody. 
They, they feel very judged. They feel shamed. And I think that, wow, it's probably very true. That is probably what that climate has been like in a lot of churches over the years. So one of the things he mentioned that I thought was quite profound was that we should not be joking, making little off-the-cuff comments like guys going to a men's retreat making a joke about, oh, we're going to be sleeping in the same room, hope nobody's gay or something. Like yeah. there's just this kind of little snickering, joking stuff yeah. that um, we might hear or, or speak um, that for somebody who is same-sex attracted but has not spoken that to anyone, now they know this is not a place where I can it's even a safe say place. what yeah. my temptation is and how do I deal with this. So they're immediately being outsourced. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess I have to go somewhere else to deal with this. Right. And that's not what we're wanting. We want pe- people to stay here, to hear the word, let the Holy Spirit be working in their lives and transforming them and um, having it be a place where they know that they're valued and that people here don't have heebie-jeebie kind of attitude towards them. Well, because they are us. They are. Right? People among us mm-hmm. have same-sex attracted feelings, also opposite attracted feelings, sometimes all at the same time, plus tempt- temptations towards lust and pornography. They are us. There mm-hmm. is no Christian bubble. Oh, I think we're going to get to that later. Well, but yeah. People are not walking around with a t-shirt that says, I am same-sex attracted. We are all sitting in the same chairs together, yeah. and we are teenagers and young adults and older people. We are struggling with sin of all different kinds and shapes and sizes of sin. Mm-hmm. And so, we just want to be make it comfortable for people to share their muck and say, yeah, I, I have muck too. And you don't have to say anything more than that. You don't have to actually say the nitty-gritty of the stuff that you're working with. And I remember one other thing this gentleman said was that they need to be to have friendship. Yeah, no. same-sex friendship, even like a, the way that anyone would typically find, and um, that those need to be safe, healthy, God, godly relationships. Yeah. yeah, if we want people to follow this call of celibacy, we can't isolate them from all relationship. I mean, that's horrible, right? And so, right. as a church, we want to support that initiative of a person to stay celibate within that sexual temptation, then we need to come around them with all kinds of friendship to fill that void that a spouse would be filling normally, that family would be filling for them. That loneliness. Mm -hmm. So maybe then not even jokes about, when are you going to get a girlfriend? When are you going to get a boyfriend? When are you going to get married? Because a person may be struggling with finding someone that they can date or marry, but they also may be struggling with same-sex attraction feelings. So maybe that kind of pressure isn't even helpful. And I think just to broaden it a little bit, I think we need to be really careful as Christians to be a community of grace in general. Like, yeah. what do we say about people from other races? What do we say about the homeless people in our community? What yeah. do we say about people who are struggling with drug addiction or with alcohol? Like, we don't know the story. Like, first of all, as Christians, we should be people of grace. Like, that's the basic. But we have no idea. When I see somebody and I can make a snap judgment of them and then I hear their story, you know, a couple of weeks later, and I'm completely like the the disconnect between their story and their face is yeah. like ridiculous sometimes, right? Because yeah. they've gone through all this crazy stuff that you'd never know by looking at them. Yeah. So we need to be careful as how we talk in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. kindness and compassion for everyone, regardless of their life choices or their circumstances. Yeah. But that takes practice, and it takes asking God for us to change our own hearts, soften our hearts towards everyone. Yeah. So we'll go with maybe two more questions here. Okay. How are we supposed to tell, or are we supposed to tell non-Christians that are gay that there is something wrong with their lifestyle? Is it appropriate to bring up what the Bible says to them? I think about that, and I think about if we would put ourselves in their shoes. I wouldn't want, um, so like, okay, if you have a, 
friend that is a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, would you always want every time you get together with them for them to tell you how wrong you are as a Christian? How you shouldn't be attending church, you shouldn't be reading your Bible, and that's so stupid, and why you're not putting plugging in your brain, blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't have a friendship very long. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to say yeah, something, Erin? No, no, I was just trying to move back to the <laughs> I was veering away from the microphone. Yeah. No, I I think you're right. Like, we don't want to discard someone or send them away from us because we keep banging on this issue all the time. This is yeah. the only thing that, I'm at, that I care about is where you're at with your sexual relationships. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such an outward symptom, right? There's, it's not, it's an outward manifestation of what's going on in their heart. And so I think what we need to do, if we do have, if we gain that trust with somebody, is to talk to somebody about the heart issues, yeah. about who God is and his character and what he, how he reveals himself in the Bible. And if they get to know God and then God convicts them to change their lifestyle, that's great. Yeah. Like that's what he will do as he get into, as they get into his word. But if we stop, if we stop them with all the external stuff and say, well, first you have to follow the rules before you get to know God. Yeah. Right. Well, it's ridiculous. Like we never, follow the rules first and then get to know somebody after. And you wouldn't expect that in a lot of the other situations either. You, uh, that might come up, a sinful behavior that you would see somebody and um, expect them to change that before they came and started attending church. Yeah. You wouldn't expect that. No. But on this, somehow people are like, well, you need to stop and then you can come to church. No, sorry. Come. Yeah. Just come. It's like Be there's a lot friend. of people that are living together and you know, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to say, you need to get married. I'm like, well, getting married is good, but I'd really rather that the heart change. And if the heart changed to love God and love His Word, and they were convicted at God's pace about mm-hmm. their life, then God can convict them that maybe it's time to get married. But if they get married and there's no heart change, what does that help? Yeah, they're just following the outward yeah. appearances, making people happy on the outside. Yeah. So let's sure. pray for people's hearts to be changed, and then their lives to eventually flow from that. I learned that lesson really powerfully when I was a teenager. My brother did all kinds of not-so-good things. One of those was smoking. And so my grandma was visiting from Manitoba, a conservative Mennonite lady, and my brother, to kind of poke at her, lit up a cigarette right in front of her. And she (laughs) didn't blink an eye. She just smiled at him. And later, after she had left, she said, why would I worry about the cigarette? I'm praying about his heart. Hmm. Like... That doesn't matter. The yeah. outward stuff is not the key. It's the heart. Let's pray for people's hearts, and we need to pray for our own. And in the meantime, friendship. Yeah. My grandma just loved him. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned a couple of times the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert, mm-hmm. uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book, um, just talking from her perspective as a lesbian person going through it. But I think it's also good to read that book in the looking at the people who reached out to her and how they did it, because they were just masterful in how they did it. Like, they just showed so much love and care and compassion and yet opened the door to relationship. I think we can learn a lot from reading stories of how other people have reached out. Yeah, simply being how we should friends. Be. Yeah. Hanging out, going for lunch, going for coffee, going for walks, hikes. Showing that you value them. all different kinds of um, lifestyles. And yeah. answering questions. I think I remember that from that story. They, yeah. were, they were hospitable and not critical of all of her questions. They... Um, responded with care to her, attended to her questions without it being critical. And um, and that's a hard kind of baseline to start. Yeah. And they, they tried to kind of get where she was coming from with it. Yeah. Okay. What happens when a transgender person becomes a Christian? Are they to revert Ooh. back to what they were before if Good they one. have transitioned to another gender? Or do we encourage them to stay what they have become? Yeah, because we can't undo some things 
So if a transgender person, a transgender, let's say a transgender boy, does surgery and hormone treatment to become a girl, and then later on becomes a Christian, you can't undo the hormone and the surgery that you've done. So what we say is we say, you know, your heart is changed towards God, then go forward and follow Him. Repent of your sin in the past, not necessarily necessarily all the just the hormone and surgery, not that. I mean the sin of your heart against God. Rebellion against God. All your yeah. rebellion against God, repent of that, and then go forward in a relationship with Him in your new gender. So what, what scripture would you base that on? First Corinthians 7. It says to stay as you are. So that's the whole passage on yeah. marriage and divorce, talking about if you've done, yeah, if you've... Whatever you have done. situation you've come into the to Christ, relationship with Christ with, stay yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Because we come into Christ, uh, a relationship with Christ with all kinds of baggage. So people have had abortions. They've been drug addicts. They've been right. alcoholics. They've been prideful, arrogant, angry, rageful, whatever. We can't always undo all of those, the consequence of those. You can't undo prison time or undo an abortion or undo a time when you were addicted to alcohol or you had sex with your boyfriend. You can't undo that. But with God's um, strength, He can cleanse us from that. You know, First John talks about how if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that three-letter word, all All. unrighteousness. And then we go forward with Him. Yeah. Excellent. Anything else we want to add? Oh, we could probably do this for hours, at least in my thinking. (laughs) (laughs) We did have the one question about the Christian bubble, so if there is anything we want to add to that, I'll read it out and then see if you want to add as we finish off. For people who live in a Christian bubble and have no interaction with people who identify with the LGBT community, how can we actually love them and be their friends? So Mm -hmm. this teenager is saying we don't actually have any contact with anybody who identifies as that, so Mm -hmm. what should we do? So I would actually say that that's a myth. Yeah. Um, this is my own personal rant that there is no such thing as a Christian bubble. Somehow that gives the impression that we inside the bubble are safe and secure and sinless, and those outside the bubble have lots of sin. All the so, problems. Yeah, all the problems, and they're out there. But actually, we all are sinners. Christians tend to hide it, so it kind of looks a little nicer sometimes, but we are all sinners, we all sin, and so they are us and we are them, and it's all we're all just in one bubble. Right. Or outside the bubble, if you want to put it that way. So assume that all those issues are in our midst. Yeah. In every group that we walk into, assume that these are things people are struggling with, dealing with, yeah, yeah. working through. In every single group, whether it's at MEI, in high school, whether it's your youth group, whether it's as you're teaching Sunday school, Absolutely. Whatever. We should be sensitive in our talk and in the way that we behave to people. Yeah. Just in general, loving, friendship, caring because for the, people. Because the person we meet may not be struggling themselves, but they might have a sibling, a friend, a parent right. who's struggling with it. So it's a sensitive issue in their life somewhere, somehow. And people will only confide in people who they feel are safe. Yeah. And so if we can provide that feeling for somebody that we're a safe person for them to confide in, a safe place for them to be. And if they uh, confide something, the best thing you can say is, thank you for sharing. Right. Thank you for having Not the courage to out. tell me. Yeah. yeah, don't freak out. And just listen to them. And to serve. Yeah. Like just to, to meet their needs. Yeah. What, what, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's a practical way, a spiritual way, however mm-hmm. we can walk alongside people. And then if you need ex- any extra one-on-one or kind of brainstorming on this, we're happy to meet with you at any time. Absolutely. Haley is happy to do that. I'm, I'm happy, happy to place. do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, why don't you pray for us then, Thalia, as okay. we end. Okay. Lord, we need you, and we are so thankful for you, and we are so thankful that you love us no matter where we are. 
you love us whether we're sinning incredibly or what we are doing. Lord, we are so thankful that you sent your son to love us, to die on the cross, to take the penalty that we deserve, and you put that on your son so that if we believe in you, that we would have eternal life. Lord, we need you, and we ask that you would soften our hearts um, towards you, first of all, and that you would soften our hearts towards others around us. Lord, would we be people that are patient and that have a lot of grace towards everyone around us? Please, Lord, grow us in you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.